Awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Henry uh, apologizes for not being able to be here today. They, him and my mom were both going to come uh, while I preached this morning. Um, but unfortunately, we had one of our caregivers, the Sunday caregiver, suddenly resign. And so it left us without a caregiver, which is not a good situation. Uh, but God provided one yesterday, uh, literally at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, so she's training today, so obviously he couldn't come because he needed to stay home uh, and train her because uh, it takes two to take care of her. But he sends his well wishes and he will be back next Sunday with us. Um, I also wanted to give a little quick shout out. It is my mother-in-law's 80th birthday tomorrow. And um, they watch online, so her name is Connie. So would you say happy birthday, Connie, on the count of three? One two, three. Happy birthday, Connie. There we go. <laughs> she's going to be so, I know she's going to be smiling right now. But anyway, they watch online. So thank you for that. All right. Uh, let's read from the scripture this morning. We're going to start with 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 20. Benaiah, son of Jehodiah, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I don't know if you, if you know me at all, you know I'm a huge Roger Federer fan. If you don't know who Roger Federer fan, I mean, Roger Federer is, he is the greatest tennis player that's ever lived, okay? And I am a little obsessed, all right? I'll just throw it out there, okay? So um, back a few years ago, back when he was really at his prime, you know, he was winning almost everything. We were watching, I was with my dad, and we were watching, uh, you know, the US Open, um, and he was playing, and, and about like halfway through the game, my dad's like, okay, let's pause it, let's make dinner. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, pause the game. So we pause the game, and of course, we're making dinner, and he's taking forever. And I'm thinking, I wonder what the score is. I wonder what the score is. And so I'm like, I just kind of sneak away to, to the office, and I'm like, pull up my computer, and I get on Google, and I check the score really quick. I'm like, sweet, he's winning. And I come back in the kitchen. My dad's like, what did you just go do? I'm like, nothing. He's like, did you just go and check the game? And I'm like, maybe. And he's like, why would you do that? You're ruining the excitement of the game. And I was like, no. If I know he's winning, then I can watch without anxiety. Then I can just relax and enjoy the game. Because he's winning, right? Otherwise, I'm biting off my fake fingernails. It's not good, right? I said, no, there's no anxiety now. I can just relax and watch the game. And he just kind of shook his head at me. But you know, I think this is how we read the Bible. Because we already know the ending of every story we read. We know that Jonah gets saved by the whale. We know that, you know, Moses stretched out his hand, his rod over the, the Red Sea and parted it so the Israelites could get out. We know that the walls of Jericho came down. We know that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and proved yet again he's Lord, you know. So I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we miss the tension that was there. We miss the emotion of the story that was probably there when it was happening. You know, like, what was Jonah thinking in the whale? 
You know, was he freaking out? Was he screaming? Was he crying? Was he in fear? Or was he maybe in awe that God had saved him from drowning? You know, what, what about Moses? How hard was it to hear God? I mean, he had two million Israelites doing this in his ear, complaining and whining because they brought him to the Red Sea. Now we're trapped. Now what are we going to do? I mean, could you imagine two million people moaning at you? You know, and you're trying to hear God. And, you're, and he's, I wonder if he was filled with doubt. Or if he said, I wonder if I misheard God, this would be bad. You know, what was happening? What about the disciples after Jesus was crucified and put in a tomb? Did they go into depression? Did they lose, like, all hope? You know, and I think that's what happens sometimes. We read a story just like this, going back to Benaiah. I've been reading in the book of Samuel the last month. And, this, uh, and it's, I, it's such a fun book to read because it's talking about Dan, David and all of his exploits and his uh, mighty men. David had like really 30 good mighty men around him and they did amazing stuff, right? And Benaiah, it turns out later to be one of them. But this story, when you're reading, it's like Benaiah, he went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. We just keep reading like, yeah, that, that should happen. But, you know, let's just slow down for a minute and put ourselves in the story. Because the Bible doesn't tell us what he was doing there, doesn't tell us where he was going, you know, or why he did what he did. So let's just switch places with him for a moment. You're walking, it's snowing, so you can kind of barely see what's happening, you're cold. And next minute you see something and you're like, man, my... The snow is bad because that kind of looks like a, and then it roars. And you're like, oh, no, definitely a lion, definitely a lion. And I don't have a rifle. They didn't have rifles back then. But you're like, I didn't have my hunting rifle. No, I've got nothing. What would you do in that situation? Run, Forrest, run, okay? <laughs> Benaiah runs toward the lion. What is he thinking? I don't know what happens. Maybe the snow on the ground, the lion somehow panics, slips into the pit. We're like, wow, is this luck or is this luck? This is our moment where we're like, sweet, I'm leaving. No, not Benaiah. Benaiah's like, cool, here's my spear, jumps into the pit, boom, kills the beast. I'm just like, what? This is a crazy story. Who does this, right? And this is a story full of emotion, full of tension. And, I, you know, I'm sitting here thousands of years later reading this story. The story happened thousands of years later. And I'm just like, man, there's so much thought-provoking emotions that come to, the, to me when I read this. Like, what lion is staring you down right now? Is it a dream that God's put in your heart that you're thinking, this is never going to happen in the natural? I can't see it happening. God has given me this vision, but it's just so big. I don't have the tools to make it happen. Just like Benaiah standing there like, oh man, it really would have been good if they'd invented rifles right about now. You know, he has got no tool to take this beast on, yet this is the, what's facing him. Or maybe the lion that's facing you is a problem that seems insurmountable, that keeps you awake at night, that you can't sleep because you're thinking about it all the time. Or, or maybe it's a fear Fear of losing a relationship or fear of losing your job or, or, or fear of coming to church while there's a virus on the lurch. See, whatever your lion is, you've got a decision to make that's going to affect your destiny. You can run away from what you're afraid of, but you'll be running for the rest of your life. 
or you can choose to face your fears, take a flying leap of faith, and be a lion chaser. See, our calling is much higher than just running away from what is wrong. We are called to be lion chasers, not scaredy cats. We have to quit living life as though the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. We're called to be lion chasers. We have to chase the dream that God's put in our heart. We have to chase that dream. And you know what? If your dream doesn't scare you, you're not dreaming big enough. Because you have to have a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Your dream, you need to look at it and go, man, unless God steps in, this is not happening. Then you know it's a God dream. But see, I think the, the, the problem that, uh, that I see most of us do, I'll loop myself in there with those, is that sometimes we just dream too small. And the reason why is because when we dream, we say, we look at ourselves and we say, what can I accomplish? How much time do I have to invest in this dream? How much money do I have to invest in this book? How much do I, can I do for this? So we look at it and we're like, well, let's just make it, let's just make it doable, what I can do. Because that, what you're talking about is, mm, I don't have the time for that. But see, we're not supposed to be doing it, I. We're supposed to be partnering with God. And see, God doesn't ever dream small. And those desires and those passions in your heart, the Bible says he put those desires in your heart. So you wonder why you have all these different unique ideas and what the desire is placed in you. Guess what? God put it there. And he doesn't do small plans. He doesn't do mediocre. You know why? Because otherwise he doesn't get the glory you do. Right? I think too often in our lives, most of it's done by God and yet we still take the glory. See, when we don't have the guts to step out in, in faith and chase that lion, chase that dream, that business, that book, that vision, that idea, then God is robbed of the glory that rightfully belongs to him. You not stepping out in faith is robbing him of something that he wanted to get the glory for. And you know... <clears throat> God really likes impossible situations. Me, not so much. But God really likes impossible situations. I mean, if you read the Bible, it is just full of impossible situations. I mean, look at the story of Gideon in the Bible. So Gideon, you know, God says, okay, you're going to free the whole Israelites from the Midianites. You're going to get together an army. So he gathers together the army, and there's like, I don't know, thousands of men, like 3,000 men. And God says, no, 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 no. We need to cut this down. We need far fewer people. So he goes through all these tests and he cuts them down to he's, until they've got, you know, the original 300. And that's what he goes to fight with. And, of course, they win. And the reason why God had to do that, because if he didn't, the Israelites would have for sure taken the glory. They would have said, see, look, we did it. We got rid of the Midianites, even though they had not been able to do it until this point. Hello. But God wanted to show them Hey, look, I'm your savior. I'm your deliverer. I'm the one that's going to get you free from this, right? And so he likes the impossible situations. I was at lunch with a friend of mine recently, and she was telling me about 
this project that she's done and what she's put in motion so far over the last year. And it's really a God dream for what I was feeling the whole time she was talking to me. And it's, it's amazing what she's done and put herself out there and is helping the community and helping so many people. And then in the same breath as she was finishing telling how it's been going, she said to me, oh, I think, I think my heart was bigger than my wallet. And I said, that's how you know it's a God dream. Because without God's divine intervention, it's going to fail. That's how you know you're on the right track. That's a God dream, right? So believing in for finances, trusting in for finances, that's possible. That's, that's easy to do. But that's when you know it's a God dream. If your dream, if you can do it on your own and you don't need God's intervention, well, then you're definitely not dreaming big enough. That's not a God dream. That's, that's just your own personal planning without God. And see, Ephesians 3 verse 20 says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be the glory. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians and he's literally running out of adjectives. Okay. He's like, how many more can I put in front of each other? He says, exceedingly, wait for it, abundantly above all. Like, I mean, he's running. I mean, how many more words can he put in this sentence? He's trying to get the point across. That he can do above all, not only that you ask, but that you think. I got a pretty wild imagination. Oh, no, no. Really, Jesus? Beyond what I can think? That's what he's saying. Beyond what you can think. But you know something? That your dreams will never exceed your imagination. It's proven that people can never achieve what they can't believe. And it starts in your imagination. You have to start imagining bigger, imagining greater, allow your mind to run with it, allow God's spirit inside of you to, to chase that line, to see where it might go. Don't hold yourself back. But you know, I always think of the opposite side when I'm, when I'm going through these conversations with myself, okay, this is what we should be doing. Then why aren't we doing it? Why don't we do this? Well, I think, I think sometimes plans and dreams that we have, we end up limiting them because of the misinformation that we have about God or the wrong view that we have about God. See, stuff happens in your life, stuff happens in the world, and so you start to begin to think, I'm not sure if God's like all-powerful or maybe if he's all-capable. I mean, he's, they say he is, but I'm not sure if he is all-capable or all-powerful or maybe he's just not that into me. Maybe he is those things, but he just doesn't really want to do it for me. And so what happens is when you have those thoughts, now you create a God in your imagination, and that God cannot make your dreams come true. You're right, because that God is full of limits, and it's not the true God. See, our God is the uncreated creator. He created everything. He's omnipresent, omnipowerful. He can do anything. He can be anywhere. He can create anything. He can bring somebody back from the dead. He can heal disease. He can stop time. He created time. So you have to get the right view of who God is. We have to stop creating God in our image and allow him to mold us into his. You know, they say every dream is created twice. Every dream is created twice. The first creation is mental. Every 
Every invention, every business, every building, every artwork, everything is started and created first right in the right brain imagination. The second part of the dream, the creation is physical. The second part is the physical, where you take the dream and you, and you make it obedient to Christ with blood, sweat, and tears. People look at me like, did she just say blood, sweat, and tears? I just lost half my audience. They're walking out. No, they're like, that doesn't sound like a God dream. Sounds like a nightmare. Um, but actually, that's what it takes. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. And if any of you have achieved things in your life, you're looking at it going, yep, that's, that's pretty much true. There's a, there was a man named Pablo Castles, and I have a picture of him just so you can see who he was. Um, he is generally, generally regarded as the preeminent uh, cellist of the 20th century, first half of the 20th century, should I say, and one of the greatest uh, cellists of all time. He played for Queen Victoria when he was only 22 years old. And he also played for President Kennedy when he was 86 years old. He lived until he was 96 years old, and up until close to his death, he still practiced three hours a day. When he was asked why he practiced still, he said, I'm beginning to notice some improvement. <laughs> Greatness. See, if you want to be a professional athlete, it starts in the gym. If you want to write a book, it starts with how many books have you read? If you want to be in the ministry, I'm going to ask you, where are you serving? See, there's many steps to take to achieve your dream. There's many struggles to push through. There's many fears to face to get to that dream. Are you a lion chaser? Because there's a lot of things that you're going to have to push through and go through if you are wanting to achieve that dream or that vision or that calling that God's put on you. And your calling doesn't disappear just because you aren't living up to it. You know, unfortunately, we live in a culture that celebrates 15 minutes of fame. But God honors a lifetime of faithfulness. Too many people I've seen quit their dream or quit God because it didn't happen quick enough. It didn't happen in my timing. But see, we don't, God doesn't fit into our world. We fit into his. So we're on his timing. And your dream is not just your dream. That dream that God's put in your heart is not just your dream, it's your calling. And you know, people can hire and fire you and you're like, oh, I could be hired, I could be fired. Sure, but they didn't call you. God did. And when we forget that, when we forget that we're called with a purpose, then we forget why we're doing what we're doing and we get really sidetracked about who we're doing it for. Everything you do in your life, God's given you purpose to do it. No one person should be the same. Everybody's got different dreams because there's a world that needs reaching. There's a city that needs reaching. There's people that need to be in business, in different forms of business, in inventions, in writing, in reaching communities. There's, there's so many amazing. The more I hear about different ministries and different things people are doing or people doing with their business, I'm in awe. I'm like, wow, God, you are moving all over the place. It's just when your body of believers will rise up and realize that, yes, what I'm doing is I'm actually called to be doing this.
If you're a mother raising kids, guess what? That is your calling right now. Because what the world needs is children that are going to stand up for God and not fall at the first sign of culture correctness. That is a calling. You know, and then on the other hand, you have people, I have people that come to me and say, Cindy, oh man, my dream, it's just so silly. I just feel foolish. I don't even want to say it out loud. It just seems outrageous. I just like, really, is this, is this, am I just foolish for thinking like this? But guess what? Faith is the willingness to look foolish. That's what faith is. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Are you telling me, do you think the Hebrews, when they were told to walk around Jericho for seven days in silence, walking around Jericho, giants watching them, you think they felt foolish? A little bit. Not so foolish when the walls came down. But yes, you'll feel foolish. But see, faith is taking the first step while waiting for God to reveal the next step. So many of us, we sit there and we're like, all right, God, that's the vision. Okay, give me the Google Maps. Where's the play-by-play? -play? How do I get there? One mile this way, one mile this way. You know, I want the whole layout. Like, that's me. What, how are we getting there, you know? And God's like, no, 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 no. That's where you're going. Just take the first step. Okay, God, you know, and as you take that first step, as you start to make the plans, as you start to type the, the first letter of the book, as you start to talk to that friend or that relationship, as you start to do that, guess what? God reveals the next step. For some of you, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone to do this because guess what? Comfort is where dreams go to die. It's all about trusting God. It's all about knowing where your help comes from and where your success comes from. It's all about knowing that every time something goes right in your life, you should stop and be like, God, you're so good. That was awesome. I love you. You know, and like step forward and trusting that he's got you, trusting that in every problem you're facing, you're like, well, this just happened. And you're like, okay, but God, all right, Jesus, here we go. You're going to have fun sorting this one out. And that was like my week this week with the caregiver situation. I'm only telling you a quarter of it. But uh, my husband knows I would turn and be like, okay, so Jesus showed off today. Because <laughs> I go to him, I'm like, God, you knew this was coming, right? Yep, caught me by surprise, but you didn't. So what do I do? You know, like this is a situation. It's in everything where you turn to him, when you're staring at an impossible situation, and be like, okay, God, you, you have an answer. Just show me how to get to it. I'm going to just trust you. That's what that is, stepping out and trusting you. Uh, you know, I think of the story of Joseph in, in the Old Testament. Joseph, you know the story in his many colors, many colored coat. His dad made him that pretty coat, and he was like the favored son, and he used to have all the dreams and tell his brothers. Do you know why Joseph's brothers actually sold him into slavery in the first place? Yeah, and I mean, if you think you've got bad family members, at least they haven't sold you into the slave trafficking industry, right? I mean, you can all thank Jesus that your relatives aren't as bad as you think they are. Okay, I'm just saying. So this is what the Bible says, the short answer why they sold him. Let's put that up. Genesis chapter 37, verse 8. They hated him all the more because of his dream. They mockingly called Joseph the dreamer. So yes, your dreams will inspire people. Hopefully they'll inspire many people. But your dreams are also going to bring opposition. 
You're going to have people hate you. You're going to have people be angry at you. You're going to have people mock you. Why? Because you're going against the status quo. See, most people are just reacting to what the world does around them instead of impacting the world around them. So when you start to dream about impacting the world, the people that are sitting back reacting go, hey, don't rock the boat. Like, what you doing? Okay, let's just, let's just let it happen. We'll see. Okay, you're just, okay, that's a little bit exact. You don't need a dream quite that big. Do you really think that could happen? Do you know you? Have you met you? You should say, have you met Jesus? Because that's who my partner is. That's who signed the documents with me. That's my partner, okay? And I'm going to let him carry the load. <laughs> but yes, your dream is going to bring a reaction. But you know, I think spiritual maturity is being able to see and seize God-ordained opportunities. When I see that happening, I'm like, oh, that's good. Look at you stepping out in faith. Look at you seizing that opportunity, seeing that, that hurt, that need that was there in, in, in the community or in society or in your business and just creating something and stepping in and filling it. I'm like, wow. You know, I've seen people start using the means we've got. You know, there's this little app called Marco Polo, if you don't know about it. It's a genius invention. Um, I'm not getting paid royalties, by the way. But um, you can, like, video somebody and you can and it sends it instantly so you can talk to your friends across the country and <clears throat> and they can talk back and it feels like you're talking to them right <clears throat> well this one lady i know she decided to use this as a tool to try since people are so afraid still not wanting to get together and meet and, and you have friends all over the place she decided to start her own little bible study group using this and so she does a little message every week and she's got certain friends in the group and she shares things about the Lord and helping them and discipling them and taking them on this journey. Instead of letting society stop her and say, uh-uh, you can't get together with your friends and your friends are too scared to come over to your house. She says, hmm, what could I use at my disposal that's already here to still keep impacting? Do you think God is sitting back going, oh, I did not see this coming. How are we going to handle this COVID situation? He's like, uh-uh, use this, do that, go here, here. See, look at this tool I'm giving you. That's, that's God dreams, see? That's just allowing God to dream through you. You know, going back to um, Benaiah for a minute, he, after he killed the lion, I'm sure David, you know, he had an affinity with David because, as you know, David, before he killed Goliath, he killed a lion. So he's like, hey, my bro, my lion killer, what's up? You know? So Benaiah ends up being part of David's mighty men and serves David for all those years. And then after David dies and Solomon becomes king, David's son, Solomon actually puts Benaiah in charge of Israel's entire army. And so allow me the liberty for a moment. I like to imagine that, um, that when David went to tuck little Solomon in bed at night, you know, he, Solomon was like, Daddy, Daddy, tell me a bedtime story. Tell me about your mighty, mighty men. And David would begin and tell him the stories about his mighty men and what they did. And he would tell him about Benaiah going on a snowy day and killing the lion in the pit. And then when Solomon grew up and took the throne, he remembered all those stories. He remembered this valiant, strong man. And you know, the thing is, had Benaiah not been brave enough to face that lion, to chase him, to jump into it, he would never have achieved the great success that he wanted to. Because you had to prove yourself in those days, right? 
So he achieved success then, but he achieved even greater success later on because the things he did when he was young. And I think that's another important thing on your journey, and that is to, to define success for yourself. What does success look like? What will it be? Will it be more money? Is it a bigger house? Is it a happy family situation? Is it a successful marriage? Is it more kids? Please, God, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was for somebody else. You know, what, what does success look like for you? Well, a few, a few weeks ago was my birthday, and um, I was deeply touched um, by some messages that people either text me or wrote to me on social media. And, I mean, obviously, you know, you always get, you get a lot of the messages on social media. It's lovely. But this particular time, people took time and really wrote meaningful messages to me about how I had impacted their life over the years and what they saw in me and what they saw in how I had helped them or cared for them or just impacted them in general. And, you know, I'm just being vulnerable for a minute. The, the ministry can be a very lonely place because you give of yourself and you connect with people. And over the years, people will leave. It's not like a normal situation. Even people that you think, oh, this person I'm serving with or they're in the church, I love them, they're so connected, but then they move away or you know, they get taken somewhere else and, and, and they leave. And so it can be quite lonely a, a place to be at times. And you can easily go down the rabbit trail of, am I even making an impact? Does my life even matter? Does it, do these people even care? <laughs> you know, and I, please, I'm not saying any of this because I need accolades afterwards. I'm just trying to explain to you the emotion sometimes. But in this particular, on my birthday, I was not actually down that rabbit trail at all. I was actually in a very good, happy, healthy place. I wasn't at all feeling um, sad or depressed. And so that's why I think God was able to speak to me so beautifully and so clearly in this time. And as I was reading these, it was kind of like being washed over me, and I feel like the Lord showed me on my birthday something that was a, a success here on earth. I realized that when we get to heaven, we have rewards waiting for us, but God wants you to have success here. He wants you to experience that, but he kind of gave me a new definition as I was reading those, and that was success is when those who know you best respect you most. And I got to tell you, it was, it's truly quite overwhelming for your heart and um, a humbling experience when people respect you for who you are, for what you do, for what you give, for what you've stood for, for how you've helped. They see you and they respect you. They respect you most. It's, it's humbling and it's, it's actually the, one of the most fulfilling things you could feel. You know, and that's why I say understanding what your success is, is important because God wants you to feel that sense of achievement, that sense of fulfillment. And, you know, it's along the journey. Yes. Does God have other visions and plans and dreams for me? Yes. And so sometimes I think I'm always running so far ahead that God had to stop and say, look, here's a little success right now, here, right now. And that's just the awesomeness of God. He wants you to feel that fulfillment, that love. And so don't brush over those moments and go, oh, well, I'm not there yet, God. This hasn't happened. This hasn't. No, no, no. Just stop and enjoy the love of God and that moment of him saying, good job. Good job. Look at you. We're achieving this. We're working together. 
And you know, I think that's why having a vision is so important or having a dream because you're going to need to endure to get there. You know what I mean? There's a lot of things that's going to come your way that you're going to need to be able to not get discouraged and walk away or not be able to pick yourself back off the ground if you get knocked down. You're going to need to be able to endure. And I think Jesus is our greatest example of that. I can't even imagine nine-inch nails going through your hands and your feet. He endured that. But the Bible says, for the joy set before him, for his vision, his dream that he saw, all of us being able to come into God's presence freely, freely, and call him Father, and just walk right in anytime we want and worship him because of his righteousness. He endured for the joy set before him. What are you willing to sacrifice for your vision? What are you willing to endure so that your dream can be accomplished? Because God wants it to become a reality in your life. But there will be a little endurance on our part. You know, I just want to, I'm going to close with this story. It's a, it's a true story. Um, in 1940, in the 1940s, there was a professor named Professor Orr, it was O-R-R, Professor Orr, and he taught theology at Wheaton University. And he took um, a bunch of students and they went on a field trip of sorts to England. And the point of the trip was that while they were there, they were going to go and see different historical landmarks that had great significance uh, in the Christian faith over the many years. And so one of the places they went to uh, was the Ep Epworth Rectory. It is the place and the living, and it was the home and the living place of John Wesley. So if you're unfamiliar with who John Wesley was, John Wesley was one of the great reformers of the church. I think we have a picture of him, obviously. It was many, many years ago. They didn't have the, the Apple cameras then. But uh, John Wesley... A lot of the theology that we now enjoy every day uh, was the foundation was crafted by reformers like John Wesley. And John Wesley would preach and he would pray and he would spend hours and hours praying for revival, not just in England, but in the United States. And John Wesley got to experience that revival as they began to pray. Some of the greatest revivals that we talk about today, the Azusa Street and, and so on, where the Holy Spirit was just poured out, miracles, salvation. Uh, I mean, some of the greatest revivals, even in England, was, were, were the uh, source of these people like John Wesley that prayed for it. And so the students were in the house where he lived, and so they're walking through the house, and they're, you know, all the books that, they, that John Wesley would read were still kept on the shelves, so you could walk up and see what books he was reading and where he sat and where he would have studied. And then they ushered all the students kind of into the bedroom, the little bedroom, and they kind of filed in. And a student noticed that alongside the bed, there were these two very well-worn patches in the carpet. And the student said to the professor, what, what's this? And the professor, the professor said, oh, well, that's the worn patches are from John Wesley kneeling by the side of the bed, praying every single day, not for five minutes, but for hours, praying for revival, praying that God would move. And so when the professor was done with the tour, 
they got up, they went downstairs, and all the kids filed back, all the students, not kids, all the students filed back onto the bus, and the, the professor's counting, and he's like, oh, there's one missing. Okay. So he goes back in the house, and he's looking for the student, and as he's walking, approaching the bedroom, he sees through the door, he sees just the head and shoulders of a student because he knelt down by the side of the bed. And as he got closer, he looked around, and he could see that he was kneeling in the patches where John Wesley had. And he heard the student saying, Oh, Lord, do it again. Do it again, God. Move so mightily. Do it again, God. But use me. Use me, Lord. Do it again. And the professor walked up and put his hand on his shoulder and he said, Come on, Billy, it's time to go. And Billy Graham stood up and walked back to the bus. And then God did it again. See, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, Cindy, I, I, I don't really have that kind of crazy dream or vision or plan. I'm just, a, I'm just a wife and a mother or I'm a student and I don't really have that. I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what God's called me to do. Well, guess what? Will you be brave enough to get on your knees and pray and ask God for one? He wants to give you a dream, a vision, a passion. But you know what? More than anything, he wants to reach this world. So if nothing else, you could get on your knees and say, God, I don't want to be Christian in name only. God, I want to make an impact. God, do it again. Use me, God. Do it again. Use me, Lord. I'll do it. I'll chase the lion. I'll run after that dream. I'll run with that vision for you. I won't stop. I'll get back up when I get knocked down. I'm not going to let my past keep me. I'm going to keep going, God. Do it again. Use me, Lord. Use me. Are you brave enough? Will you be a lion chaser? Because that's what God has called you to be. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite the ministry, ministry team to come forward. You know, God, it only, as you've seen, the reason I told that story about Billy Graham, because it just, sometimes it just takes one person with the heart and the bravery. Billy Graham went through a lot of things. He didn't have an easy go of it, that's for sure. But nor does anybody if you're running with God. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. That doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. Probably means you're in the right, in the right place, right? So think about this. Think about this this week. Pray about it. Start to dream bigger. Start to dream with the Lord. See where he wants to take you. We're going to close the service in prayer, and then I've got the ministry team down front because if you would like prayer for anything, if maybe this is your first time to the service or maybe you're coming back to church and you're like, you know what, I'm not sure what this really means to be a believer. I'm not sure what this means to follow God. Well, then I want you to come down front and talk to one of them. Come talk to one of our ministry leaders and, uh, and let them talk to you about salvation. What does that look like to follow Jesus? Because it's a choice that you have to make. It's a declaration of your faith. It is important. You can't just walk out and mentally assent to it. You need to commit to it. And there's something you need to know. We've got a book we want to give you so you can help you on your journey. But if you need prayer for anything, 
could be healing, could be standing, uh, maybe it's you want somebody to stand together with you in this new dream of yours. Whatever it is, I want you to come down front and um, come and talk to one of the, the ministry people, all right? So we're going to close in prayer. All right, we're going to close in prayer right now. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this word. Lord, I thank you that it is planting seeds deep within them right now. Father, those dreams and visions that you've given people, Lord, I just thank you that this word poured water all over them that they began to take life and grow and the leaves on those dreams began to be obvious, Father. Lord, I thank you that you're giving them clarity of mind, of thought, of vision, Lord, to step forward and to walk with you, Father. Even those that have already begun to take a step of faith, Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are helping them, providing for them. I thank you for the finances, Lord, that are coming through for people right now. In these visions and dreams, Lord, we call in the finances, Lord. We call in the, the open doors for these people, Father. We thank you, Father, for what you've committed in their hearts, that we will begin to see the results of it and the fruit of it. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you for coming out. We're going to play some music in the back for me, guys, please. And we're just some soft music. And if you need prayer for anything, if you want to talk to us about anything, the ministry team is right down front. There's gentlemen for the gentlemen, ladies for the ladies. We thank you so much. Thanks for coming out, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.